Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask for um, hearts that are resolute. We need your help in that. We know we need your help. We know that we are in desperate need for you to work on our behalf and to cause us to live for you and for your honor and for your glory and not our own. Lord, we know that we have a tendency to think about ourselves and to protect ourselves and to fight for ourselves and defend ourselves, to make much of ourselves. We just pray that you would let us identify that, where that is in our hearts, and redirect our life. In Christ's name, amen. So on a number of years, or I've done this multiple years, we will just do a message on um, a sermon, kind of, on the first resolution of Jonathan Edwards, and that's what we're going to do this year. It will, uh, it's um, almost like he thought about what, what is the Bible teaching in an ultimate sense, and so that's what we're going to do. There will be much scripture in it, but it's not a certain passage like we usually would study, and so a little bit different, but you've never heard us go through this, it might be really helpful for you as you consider life and the way that you ought to live um, as a person who is following Christ. So um, we, we kind of are we're looking at this and we're, you know, we're about to start a new year and people do start thinking about New Year's resolutions and, and what they're wanting to do and where their life is going and sometimes uh, that can be kind of negative thoughts, sometimes it can be positive, all different types of things can go on when we're thinking about it, but I think it is good to stop and say, okay, what is the reason that I exist? Where am I going and what am I supposed to be doing? Or what am I not, you know, where have I been that I haven't, shouldn't have been? And what, what things do I need to change? And how do I need to act in a better way or pursue the right things this year? All of that stuff uh, needs to be a part of your life. Um, the first resolution written was written by Jonathan Edwards, but it's, it's one of 70 uh, resolutions. And so, he is saying, I'm resolved to do this and this and this. And this is kind of a special one, uh, the first one, because it is a summary. And so uh, you, you'll hear that in a moment. But Jonathan Edwards was a theologian, philosopher, and pastor uh, during the 1700s, was a big part of the First Great Awakening in the, in the United States. And um, that, that, that was a special thing. Many of you maybe, I remember in high school, uh, we just kind of passed over the First Great Awakening a little bit. But it, one of the things that they, they mentioned was him and the sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And so that was kind of something that stood out to me because I was like, wow, that, that's a shocking thing. And it was kind of something they brought to you, you know, at the front. He wrote these resolutions um, before he turned 20. So for some people, they might uh, read these and say, oh, man, I don't know, that sounds like a young guy on fire, but maybe he hasn't lived long enough to really process everything. He kind of has it all, you know. Uh, some of you may remember a time in your life like that where you're like, uh, you had all these kind of, I don't know, thoughts of, of, of grandeur in certain ways, and you kind of needed to be, to think for a little while, to live a little longer, and to think, consider some things, you know. But it, at the heart of them, I think you do see a very balanced or, or healthy understanding of uh, the Bible and where it's pointing and where it's going and, and all of those things. And so, um, they, they are helpful. I, I think you always have to keep in mind, like when a young man writes something, he has uh, much time to live and, and do. There's things he's going to do. And the other thing to say about that is, like, he would read those, or he had resolved to leave, read those at the end of every week, the end of every month, and the end of every year. So 70 resolutions at the end of every week, at the end of every month, and the end of every year. And I think it is important, probably, for all of us to have things where, 
a few years ago, I kind of wrote out what were the hats that I w- I'm wearing presently, and then kind of put some dots by that and said, okay, uh, what what do I want that to look like as a husband? What what should that look like as a father? What, what are the what are the things? What what does that look like in the occupational type things like? And to consider those hats and then think about, like, what with a biblical worldview will that look like? What would it look like um, for me to do that? You know, I, I think you could even say to follow in the steps of Jesus, to lay your life down. What does that look like? To put others first, to think more of more of others than yourself. You know, what, what, what would it look like for you to live in that way? And so you have to consider those things and reflect on them. It, it's a way of kind of having checks and balances in your life to consider uh, where you are. And so we just finished uh, discussing a passage that talked about being sober-minded or kind of having a, a spiritual perspective on life and, and being sober, like like thinking clearly and being alert with regard to the things of God and the things of, you know, life in general and your relationships and all those things. So this will help you in that regard. And hopefully it will, you'll be able to see some things as we move through it that will be of a benefit. Um, so I, I will say one other thing, or two other things about this. If you're, sometimes you could be afraid with regard to a resolution that you were somehow, and this is something that's always a battle, that you were being legalistic in them. And, and honestly, you can fall into that really quick in your life where it's like, uh, you know, like we read through, uh, I, I read through the Bible this year, or listened to the Bible being read through this first time I've ever done that, uh, all the way through in a year, and it was kind of, uh, there were times where it's like, oh my goodness, this is all duty, why am I doing this, is it because I have to finish whatever I start, you know, like, is there any real true motivations in what I'm doing that are good, like, am I listening with a heart that's sens- sensitive to God, you know, all that kind of stuff, so you, you do have this moment where you sometimes think, okay, or, or am I falling into this deal of like, I want to appease God. I want to make sure that, you know, like when I stand before him and, and present my case, that uh, God will be happy with me and say, oh, yeah, you can come on in. You read through the Bible that year when you were 46, between 46 and 47. That's a great point. Thank you, Matt Locke. You know what I mean? Like, okay. But I think it's important to understand that. But we're not trying to appease God. We want to please God. Ephesians 1.6 says that we have been accepted in the beloved. We're not trying to please him. We're not trying to build a case for how good we are so we can stand before him in the court room one day. That's not what we do. We're already accepted in Christ. So we, we trust in what he has done and what he's accomplished for us. And so... Um, I think that's important just to, to identify. And I would also say, like, if you were to look at any other aspect of your life and you were thinking, like, if I wanted to give myself to this, maybe your education, maybe um, the sports that you played, maybe just keeping up with the news, any other thing that you do requires some level of just habitual practice and, and steps in the right direction, and it benefits you over a long period of time. And you know that. How much more? with regard to spiritual things. And so disciplining yourself for the purpose of godliness is a good thing, and that's going to be kind of at the heart of what we're doing here. And so I just think it's important to say that. We're not trying to say, oh, God's going to like accept me in the end because I did these things. I, I, that is not, it should not be in your mind. It's a faulty way of thinking. It's faulty logic is what I would say. So 
we should strive in the strength that God supplies to live a life of godliness, and it does take effort, and it takes effort every day. Um, and so maybe some of you say, well, let me think about that in my own life, and you stop and ponder. You might say, well, it does take, it does take money. I do have to go to work, and I do have to clean my house, and I do have to work with my kids. And I, you, know, you have all these things that you do that take a lot of work, but like, you, know, you really want to discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. It is of great gain. And so I think that's just important to say. Um, and you don't ever want to do those things and, again, take kind of keep score or even think, oh, this good thing, I'm exalting that thing. You don't want to exalt that. You just want to continue to move forward. And so in tangible ways, pursuing the things of God. Um, as you make God your aim, I, I will say this. If you are saying, I want to live for God, I want to pursue God and all those things, I have met people before. I'm like, look, you're not. I want to. I just have to stop and say, like, you're not pursuing God if you're mistreating your wife. You're not pursuing God. That, those that relationship where, if you look at reading Ephesians and you get to all those practical applications, he says, husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church. You're not pursuing God. You're not closer. You're not like that close to Jesus if you're like mistreating your wife. You're not that close to Jesus if you're neglecting the training and admonition of your children. You're not disciplining your children, working with your children, speaking to your children. You're not, that's, and, and we would say, I, I, I kind of picked on the husband, but even as a wife, in the same way, like you're not drawing near to a God and then like beat, beating down your spouse. So I, I think it's important that we understand that. And so, we want to live to the glory of God. In, in living to the glory of God, living a life of worship means that I'll seek to be a good husband, wife, father, mother, worker, citizen, student, athlete, all those things to the glory of God with those things in mind. Because those are the places where the worship of God find their expression. You know, it's like somebody saying like, oh, I love Jesus, I'm about Jesus, and I don't love the church. It's like, no. What? Those things run together. They, they, they run together. And do we struggle with that? Of course we do. It's a lifelong struggle of living how we ought to live. And, um, and, and we have to be really careful to not stop and consider those things. Okay, so we don't want to be legalistic. We're not trying to appease God, but we do want to please him. And we want to please him. Um, in a way that would bring honor and glory to his name and bless other people. That's in, in our lives, all the people that we have. The other thing we don't want is like a, a, a level of hypocrisy where we are, which I just mentioned reading through the Bible. Sorry, you're like, oh, Jared, look, you're making much of your Bible reading. I'm like, I'm not, I wasn't trying to. But the deal is, is like you could get into that realm, especially when you're young. I think when you're really young, whew, get a bunch of young men together who think that they're like really doing good spiritually they're fasting and memorizing and reading and doing mission trips and whatever get some older guys and they're like throwing money at stuff like i give to this and give to that and it's like okay like we're competing this is great it, not really what what the lord intended for us and so in that case you would say i don't want to have this hypocritical thing or I'm, I'm faking it i don't want that in my life i also don't want to be like a pharisee who is like you see in luke 18 11 where he's boasting over the things that he has done. 
Jesus wasn't impressed with the Pharisee. Guess what? If you're a Pharisee here, you're probably impressed. But he's not impressed. You know, I haven't done this. I know a lot of my friends have done this. You've got a list long of the things that they've done that you've never done and a list of things that you've done right that they've never done right. And so like the Pharisee, you stand over them or over your friends or spouse or whoever, and you say, standing by yourself, which is how Pharisees usually live, because they don't live very well with others, uh, God, he said, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over there that I'm looking down on. I'm much greater than him, right? And so those are the things. So we would say, hey, pursue these things uh, not to try to appease God and not to try to make a big deal of like before men, you know, where other people will be looking at you saying, oh, man, they are something. Um, The Lord calls out both of those things. So with a heart of faith, we should live a resolute life, a resolved life, pursuing the things of God. Strive for godliness out of gratitude for God with the goal of glorifying God, blessing others, and finding joy in Him. That's what you're doing. That's, that's the whole thing. That's what we strive for, we want to do. That's why Paul could say, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. All of it. See, I like this. See, that's what I'm talking about. Right there. Yeah, y'all need to learn a little bit of that, right? It's like, this is good because it encourages you, it challenges you to do these things. Now, let's talk about God's discipline just for a moment. Like, he is disciplining us, and when we are personally disciplining ourselves for spiritual things, okay? So think about this. In Job 5.17, it says, the one whom God reproves. Blessed is the one, actually says, blessed is the one whom God reproves. Therefore, despise not the discipline of the Almighty. God's training is not always negative. Sometimes you're going to get a spanking, you know, like that's part of it, like because God loves you. And doesn't want you to be foolish. But sometimes he's just going to pull you over and address you like in a kind way. Like this morning, I'm just saying like, hey, pursue the things of God. Like you get to hear that all the time. It's good for you. Psalm 94, 12 says, blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, whom you teach out of your law. So the deal is, is like if he hated you, he would leave you alone. That's what Romans 1 says. Like when he lets you go, when he lets you go. When God says, you know what, or let's a culture go. When he says, just go your own way. That is the most frightening place to be. Some of you probably have sat there before and thought, I just want to go my own way and check out of all of this and go and pursue what I want to pursue and do what I want to do. And if you get freedom from the almighty God to do that, you're the most, in the most dangerous place in the whole world. There is nothing more frightening than a fool with his folly that has no father chasing after him. Proverbs 3.11, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. And by the way, this is another thing. So the, if you're really self-righteous here and really uh, a legend in your own mind here today, if you're here and you're that way, the deal is, is like, um, you won't like the Proverbs because they talk about people not being the legends that they are in their own mind. That's kind of what they do. They show and reveal that people need to be trained and, and, and brought back and restored and all that stuff. Proverbs 12.1 says, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. That's pretty clear. 
right? Um, so God is about doing that. Uh, Revelation 3.19 says, Those whom I love I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. So you're welcoming God into your life to bring you back. And sometimes, uh, Suzanne and I were talking about this yesterday, uh, oftentimes God uses um, his church, you know, to, to other believers to say, nope, 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 no. Because when you're in your folly and your sin, you're kind of like rebellious at that moment. Like you're, you're, you're like blind to that, you know. Like especially if you are sitting there thinking like I'm really not the problem constantly, you need a really good friend to say, nah, I don't think that's true. <laughs> Sergio does that to me whether I need it or not sometimes, you know. I'm just kidding. I probably generally do. But okay, all right. All right, so then – from a discipline standpoint, personally, First uh, Corinthians nine twenty seven says, "But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching others to others I should be disqualified." Titus one eight, be hospitable, a lover of good, self controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. First Timothy four seven and eight, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths; rather, train yourself for godliness. By the way, you can get really off a bunch of crazy stuff, like theological things even, and think like, I'm growing in maturity. Well, I'm telling you, I'm growing up spiritually. And it's like, dude, you are like way out there, one. And two, like just do the right things today. Like you got enough trouble to deal with today. Train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and the one to come. So, if you're pursuing godliness, it means that you're trying to put off sin and put on righteous living. If you're not regularly worshiping with one another, you know, if you are not um, spending time in the Word with others and yourself personally, you might say, you're not praying both corporately and individually, you're not loving people, like in a corporate and individual way, I'm not saying like loving yourself more. I'm saying like loving others, laying yourself down towards others. You're not serving one another. That's a problem. You're not striving to share the gospel with others as we're prayerfully saying, Lord, open the door that we might corporately and individually do those things. You're not living to the glory of God. You're not pursuing those things. So we want to do those things. And so we're looking at this resolution, and I'm getting there. Uh, I'm just taking a little time because I want you to think about why. Why, why are we thinking about this? Why do you consider this? And so, um, so hopefully that will help you as you think about what you're trying to do, what you're striving for uh, in this life. And so then let's just look. I'm just going to read to you, and so you can listen to this. I'm just going to point out a few things. Before he started with the resolutions, he started with the preamble, and it's a statement of dependence. And it reminds me, I had a tour guide one time, and he kept saying, with God's help, with God's help. It's like 2,000 times in, in a week with him, with God's help, with God's help, with God's help, with God's help. He did not, it, it, well, I don't even know if he, and there were so many things that I'm not sure even about his spiritual condition. I'm not sure he was just saying it because he always said it. But it, it like in my head, it was like, oh my goodness, like that is really the, the Christian life. It's with God's help, with God's help. I need his help. You know, this is what he says uh, uh, when he, before he starts the resolutions. He says, being sensible that I am unable to do anything without God's help. I do humbly entreat him by his grace 
to enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they are agreeable to his will for Christ's sake. So, as you're thinking about that, you understand he is saying, I need supernatural power to do supernatural work. You know, I mean, some of us are spending our whole, we maybe are very strong physically, mentally, emotionally. We might be really strong in all these areas. But, but if you're doing all those things um, and, and you're thinking, I can do it in my own power, you, you are most to be pitied. Because that's a frightening place for us to be. We need his help every day. As a, the, the song, I need thee every hour. You know, and so I think that's that's helpful for us. Now, um, this first question, actually, if you read the Westminster Catechism, it says man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And you'll feel that in this. And I'll read it to you. And then I said, we're going to build some biblical framework for you to understand this and see why this would be uh, a summary of living a life to God's glory. So he says this, resolve that I will do whatsoever I think to be most of the glory of God and my own good profit and pleasure. In the whole of my duration, without any consideration of the time, whether now or never, so many myriads of ages hence, resolve to do whatever I think to be my duty and the most for the good and advantage of mankind in general. Resolve uh, so to do whatever, di with whatever difficulties I meet with, how many soever and how great soever. And so this is a summary of all of the, the resolutions that he writes and um, one of the things that Steve Lawson says, the first resolution is the chief resolution. His foremost priority, it is the Mount Everest of which the remaining resolutions are the foothills. So let's just work through it and I'll help you see it and we'll go from there. Resolve that I do whatsoever I think to be most to the glory of God. So when you think about glory, you can think about weight or brilliance. It could either be light, you know, kind of a light thing or a weight thing. And so when you think about that, the weight of gold explains like the, the wonder of it. If somebody says, oh, I have 100 pounds of gold, you'd be like, what? You know, it's just, but, you know, when you read it in the Bible and it would speak of something like that, that would be, or brilliance, like light, light shining. It's like it, it, people, uh, when you see uh, the glorified Christ where they're falling down on their face because his face shine like the sun, it was his glory on display. And so what we could say is God has this intrinsic glory. And what that means is he is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in, in all of his glory. He is the greatest. He is above all others. God is God, and he, there is no other. There's no equal to him. He's not your God in the sense of where you say, well, my God, dot, 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 whatever you want to say, in, in a way that you can contain him. Most of the time when I hear somebody say, my God, they're, they're about to really uh, botch that up a lot. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh, you're God in that little box that you pull out like when you want him. And he's like a little genie. Say a little prayer to him. That's a small God. This God, his intrinsic glory, it, he is, uh, you, it, you cannot contain him. He is the one triune God. And everything else was created by him. It's owned by him. It's controlled by him. This is his world. And so we say God in his, like, himself, he is above all things. And so we see his intrinsic glory in the Bible. And what happened with uh, Moses was he says, Lord, show me your glory. He asked to see God's glory, and he beheld his glory at some level. But I just want to read to you from Exodus 33. And he said, I will make my goodness pass before you, and you will proclaim before my." Before I will proclaim before you my name, 
the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and show mercy to whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while, and, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face you shall not see. So there is this, the glory of God is something the face of man cannot see. He is glorious. And so Isaiah 6 speaks of that. The holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. If you remember, there was a a covering of, of God before even Isaiah where there's this shocking revelation of him. And so the Bible displays that. We see that in Jesus. The, w- the word became flesh, and so his glory was clothed. But then remember, when he showed him in Mark, he shows his glory in the transfiguration, this great God. So he begins and says, like, okay, all of this, everything that we're thinking about, when we're looking, I want to do everything that I do most to the glory of God. What does it mean to do most to the glory of God? Well, when you see him, then you want to respond to that. How do people respond? How do people respond when they see God? It generally is worship, right? They, they're in awe. They, they may be struck with fear, but there's this awe. They, they're living in awe. And so you want to ascribe glory to him. You want to honor him. That's, that's what Matthew 5, 16 says, let your light so shine before men so that they see your good works and you glorify your father. You're saying, I want, I've seen it, I've beheld his glory, now I want to give him glory. It's not about you anymore. And so even if you think about oftentimes with churches, and we, we've said this before, but they're, they're constantly thinking about what do you want? What do the people want? When they come here, what do they want? What do they like? What do they want their kids to experience? Da-da-da. They make this long list, and you're like, no, that only leads to more selfishness. That only leads for people saying, oh, it's my glory that this is about. It's my happiness, my joy. What, man, this church is about me. You know, and you're like, what? Are you supposed to be worshipped? Are you God? Do you own it all? Have you sustained it all? Have you created it all? No, it's not about you. It's about him. And so we want healthy churches. And a church that is healthy is a church that sees the intrinsic glory of God and rightly responds and says, we want to ascribe glory to him. We want to offer our lives back to him. Uh, I've told you this a hundred times probably, but the end of Romans 11 is beholding his glory, and 12, 1 and 2 is people bowing down and offering their lives in worship. Glory, the intrinsic glory of God, causes within us a desire to ascribe glory to God. Good theology, good understanding of God. Like, what does that do? It produces doxology. If you want to see someone whose heart is filled with praise... It will be someone whose mind is filled with the knowledge of God. It's just that's the way it all flows out of that. It all it all flows out of that. A famous guy once said, the most important thing about you is what comes in your mind when you think of God. If you have a very small view of God, you have very small worship. And a great view of God produces great worship. And worship is not you saying, look how good I am. God, I, I hope you see how good I am. And it's not telling everybody around you how good you are. That's, not, that's self-worship. 
that's not the worship of God. And so you have to constantly remind yourself of these truths with God's help to do so. Now, then he says, to my own good profit and pleasure. Now, this is an interesting thing. If his chief aim is God, he thinks that it will profit him the most. It's, it, he'll think it's the most profitable thing in his life. He, 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 he will benefit like on so many way, in so many ways. He'll, he will actually, because what, what does Scripture say? Taste and see that the Lord is good. He'll think he, he'll, he's good. You'll, you'll begin to say, oh my goodness, he's good. He's filling. It's beneficial. It's profitable to set before God. It is a blessing in your life. It is the place where your soul is satisfied. Some of you, if we were to say, look, what, what are your dreams? What, what have you always dreamed about doing? Some of you would say, I always want to own this house. And I want to get it, and, and I want it built just like I wanted. And I wanted my land to look a certain way. And I wanted all of those things. And I, or, or some of you might say, I always wanted this certain job. You know, and if I, I reached out there to get that and I, and I worked really hard and I and I tried to get that and I thought, man, that's going to be so wonderful. And. And then you kind of could go down the list, some of you might say, you know, I just wanted this family and I wanted kids around and enjoying themselves at holidays and all this stuff. But the reality is, if that is your ultimate goal. To make your life here. The best possible life that you could make. If that's your ultimate goal, to make your life here the best, do you know what's going to happen? It will never satisfy you. If your goal is to make your family's life here the best it possibly can, it will not satisfy them. You will be pouring whatever you're thinking is going to make everybody happy down into like this broken cistern. It, it, it just... You were not meant, you, your eternal soul was meant for more. Your eternal soul cannot be satisfied with temporal things. It's a struggle. It is a struggle to get that. So if you built your, here's the thing. You may have to confess I'm not the wisest man in the world. Because if you set your life up to say being satisfied with temporal things will be the most wonderful thing in the whole world. And everybody will be happy, and you're over there pouring into a broken cistern. You either kind of keep doing that the rest of your life, or you say, "Oh my goodness, I've, I didn't, I did not, I did not point my life or their lives into the things that mattered most, the things that truly satisfy. I did not walk to the the, the well that is not a mirage, but is that is actually a pool." And you have to say, man, dadgummit, I need to repent of that and go back into the ways that I need to go. I need to turn back to my first love. I need to, I need to remind myself of what really satisfies. Living the most to the glory of God is building your life on the world to come. It's living eternity with eternity in view. But it does not mean, now this is just important to know, it does not mean that you will not be pursuing good things in this life. It does not mean that. It means that there's an order to those things. And that God is the, he is the one above all. And then these other things are other opportunities to serve him and to love him. 
He says the third, in the whole of my third kind of section, in the whole of my duration without any consideration of the time, whether now or never, so many myriads for, uh, of age of tent. So um, he's saying, like, how long will I do this? That's kind of the question. How, how long are you going to do that? Are you going to get, you know, through the first year? You're like, nah, I don't know if that worked. You know, that's not what he's saying. He's like a lifetime, but not just in this life. But since I'm an eternal soul, it, it's forever. I'm living with forever in mind, continually and eternally. He's saying this is the thing that will satisfy me in this life and the one to come. Some people are saying, well, I'm going to get as much satisfaction in this life, and then I hope I make it to the world to come. What do I need to do to make it to the world to come? I'm going to get it all here. What do I need to do to make it to the world to come? What he's saying is, you want to be satisfied, you drink from the well of God here and in the hereafter. That's the place of satisfaction. So this is something we have to see and understand and consider. We were created for God, and whenever God is at the center of our life, then satisfaction comes. And you know what else? It frees us to love other people, to serve other people. You know why? Because we're not trying to make them our gods. That's what messes you up. It's like when you start thinking like, oh, um, uh, this person will love me as much as I love myself. I'm going to give them everything. And then when they, they don't live up to what you put on them, which is a godlike status, then you get really mad. And you want to go find another god to worship. But he's saying, no, no, no. You worship God, he will satisfy your soul. Then you'll be free to serve other people and love them. Because you're built to love him first. And then to be able to love others. So, Fourth thing in this resolution, resolve to do whatever I think to be my duty and most for the good and advantage of mankind in general. Here's the thing. A heart for God will be, you'll end up having a heart for people. Some of us here might say something like, I just don't like people. It's people. If I could just get rid of people, if I could <laughs> go out in the world somewhere and get me a place that I never had to see another soul. You ever heard anybody say that? Have you ever felt that? You know? Or maybe it's a handful of people. These three people, get rid of them, everything's good. <laughs> well, I don't think that. I'm not sure that works. But what he's saying is he resolved, he's resolved to live most to God's glory, which will result in his profit and pleasure for all of his life. And that's going to benefit other people. It will end up with people. It will end up immersing yourself in the lives of people, messy people like you. Because really, you'll follow your Savior. And where did he go? He went to people. He walked with people. Dirty people, sad people, addicted people, self-righteous people. He had to address all those kind of people. I mean, just hard to deal with people. But Matthew 5, 16, it says, Let your light so shine. Once the light has shone in your heart, oof, it just, it's going to have to come out. It just comes out. It comes out. And um, it comes out in tangible ways, physical ways, emotional ways. 
all, all kinds of ways. Um, your, 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 your family would be better, better because they've known you, been with you. Your children will be a better people because they've been with you. Your boss, employees, whatever they may be, they're better because you have experienced this. the life of God is at work in you. And so I think that's important to say. Um, you will both meet physical needs for people and bless people. You also spiritually you'll want to bless people. You want them to hear the gospel. That's why over and over the followers of the Lord, Psalm 96.3 says, they, they declare his glory among the nations. They declare it. So I'm almost done. Sorry, I, I went a little long. Um, the fifth thing is resolve to do so to do whatever difficulties I meet with, how many soever, how great soever. It will not be easy. If you're saying right now to yourself, this has been a hard year. This last five years have been hard. You say, well, Jesus had a lot of hard years. And um, he was a lot better than you, <laughs> right? And... Um, he didn't give up on doing the hardest things. He laid down his life for sinful people. He experienced the wrath of God so that we might be saved. And so we in this fallen world know that difficulties will come. They're a part of it. Actually, 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life, write that down, desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Just part of that. Part of life here in a fallen world. So, when you're thinking about this all-encompassing kind of statement that has immeasurable biblical grounding, I I just hope that you come away and say, you know what, I need God's help. I I know every one of you in here like me, we need God's help. We need to think about that every day. We also need to know that, like, even though it doesn't always feel like it, There is ultimate joy in pursuing God. He made us for himself. There's ultimate joy in pursuing God. We also kind of need to say, not only do we need his help, it's still going to be hard. The world, the flesh, and the devil, like there's going to be great battles for you. And you will see a lot of little victories, but you're awaiting the final one. That's just something you got to know. You'll see little ones. But that's something you got to know. There will be final victory in the end. And so we. And last thing I'd say is this. The neat thing is, is you don't do this alone. You just don't go at it alone. There's no Lone Ranger Christianity here. It's just a, we know that's an, an, an impossibility. God knew that. You need one another. You need us. We need each other every day. We need voices of reason when we're being foolish. We need voices of encouragement when we're being assaulted by all the troubles that come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask for wisdom and a heart to obey and to love and to treasure and to behold your glory. In Christ's name, amen.